And boom, we're back for another episode of AlphaCast. I'm Mike Winner, and I'm here as always with the illumined Dr. Bear Paul Lando, coming to you live and direct from the great state of Jefferson up here in the beautiful Smith River area. Uh, so blessed to have um, skated uh, by uh, some potential wildland fires last week as they weren't that far from the farm. But guess what? Uh, they were put out pretty quickly by uh, the Forest Service and Cal Fire, believe it or not. So there are angels amongst us everywhere. And that was great to see nope. that that sort of. Why am I still seeing smoky haze out my window here? Uh, that's due to a large complex to the north uh, east of you which uh, is uh, unfortunately uh, still going, but fortunately I'm not getting that smoke today. That's a bummer you are. Um, but there was yeah. an ac actually a, a, a fire that was only 20 miles from the farm that they put out quite wow. quickly, 14 acre, far, uh, 14 acre fire nestled in old growth redwoods uh, that they had to helicopter in and boat in down the Klamath to get mm -hmm. to it. Um, as a volunteer firefighter, I stay tapped into this. I put out a fire what two miles north of my house last Friday, um, a wildland one acre fire up in the mountains there right above our house. So it is the season. It is interesting. Are we talking direct energy weapons? I don't know. Nobody knows how these fires are starting, but we will continue to put the organite out there and uh, bring in the moisture and, uh, you know, stay resilient with our own I am powerful spiritual presence to protect us because i know we are all good here they could try all they want but they they are not tapped in like we are so uh but yes uh so such a pleasure to have laura singer on with us today i want to go ahead and jump right into this just a reminder music and sky october 13th through 16th music and sky.com i'll be at aria leadership summit next week in miami uh, you can go to alphabetic.com forward slash Aria, A-U-R-E-A, -E to get your tickets. I hope to see you in Florida. Alex Zek's cruising out with me, Jim Gale, uh, Sayer G, uh, Jason Crow from Cordal. I'll be there talking about um, decentralized systems and sovereign currency and uh, true holistic economics. Uh, it's going to be a great time. So that's uh, alphabetic.com forward slash Aria. And then, of course, um, when Laura first came on, I had I had my my uh, nose um, dialed in with some Brown's gas. That's what I was doing. Laura, don't worry, I'm not going through chemo or something. Uh, and so we do have the ability to we are now selling George Wiseman's beautiful Aquacure machines. You can go to his site. I will put the link below in the show notes um uh to get uh the aquacure machine and use the coupon code alpha vedic to get a massive discount is that correct bear yes and i uh just got a second machine so i could have one uh downstairs in my office and out in my lab at the same time so wherever i am i can breathe hydrogen well beautiful beautiful so that's it i'm going to go ahead and introduce our guest and if you guys just if you guys want to tap more into alpha vedic go to our telegram t.me forward slash alpha vedic or check us out on Discord, alphavedic.com forward slash Discord, or just go to our website, alphavedic.com. Okay, Laura Sanger joins us today to discuss our present opportunity to release the full measure of prosperity intended for our nation, reclaim our inheritance that has been stolen, and restore our nation to once again be the, quote, land of the free and home of the brave. Dr. Laura Sanger is a clinical psychologist, an author, and a small business owner. After earning a BA in psychology from the University of California, San Diego, 
She worked at the Veterans Administration Hospital in La Jolla, Los Angeles, uh, West Los Angeles, and Salt Lake City. She then received an MA in theology and a PhD in clinical psychology from Fuller Theological Seminary, serving as an adjunct professor at Salt Lake Theological Seminary, teaching courses in adolescent development with 15 years practice as a clinical psychologist for specializing in chronic mental illness, addictions, personality disorders, and adolescent treatment. Uh, Bear, she's given you a run for your money with all, all these credentials. Uh, <laughs> since 2009, she has been the managing partner of a real estate investment business. Quote, I am a prophetic intercessor and spiritual war warrior. I am passionate about seeing people set free and reaching their full potential. Laura spent four years researching and writing about the roots of the Federal Reserve, available now on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. By shedding light on what lies in the dark corners of history, this book reveals the spiritual landscape of the roots of the Federal Reserve in a journey through time-tracing deceptions across cultures and generations. The roots of the Federal Reserve emanates from the days of Noah when the Nephilim roamed the earth. These beings are referred to in the Old Testament as giants or fallen ones. By following known history, archaeology, and symbolism, the roots of the Federal Reserve traces the Nephilim bloodline through the lineage of Ham and reveals the Nephilim agenda concealed for ages, operating insidiously since the seed war in Genesis 3. Ultimately, the journey leads to Jekyll Island, the birthplace of the Federal Reserve, and the players who participated in its creation. This book excavates the bedrock of slavery that keeps us in bondage to debt. It reveals the domination of the quote-unquote the titans and unmasks the destructive repercussions our monetary system has on the lives of everyday people. A battle has been raging in the hidden recesses of our nation and the financial gate of our country has been defiled. This book unveils the spiritual forces that have been squeezing abundant life out of America. However, this is not just another sad narrative about our subjugation. Rather, it's a call to freedom. Together, we can release the full measure of prosperity intended for our nation, reclaim our inheritance that has been stolen, and restore our nation to once again be, quote, the land of the free and the home of the brave. Berlando, wow, this is a, uh, a subject that is very close to our hearts today, huh? Absolutely. And, you know, people have many different perspectives, uh, you know, everything from extraterrestrials to fallen angels to, you, you know, all sorts of theories out there. So I'm really looking forward to this because I know uh, Laura has absolutely done her homework and also comes from a place of spirit. Laura, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, we know you're very busy and this is uh, special that you make time for us. So, um Let's just jump right in. You know, uh, we're definitely on the, the right team here, on the same team, I should say, and that uh, we've been, uh, I've been on this path for a long time. And I love your concept of spiritual mapping and how you, uh, you know, use that as a tool in your, um, you know, in your whole process. And I uh, watched your first episode of Spiritual Mapping, so I'm looking forward to continuing mm. on with that. And for anybody that isn't uh, already aware of Laura's work, uh, there's a 10-part series I think everybody should watch, um, you know, that's all about the roots of the Federal Reserve. So uh, 
spiritual mapping, you know, Laura, I'll let you talk uh, about it more fully, but uh, you know, the idea of doing reconnaissance and then followed by research and then informed intercession, uh, which is pretty much exactly what some of us have been doing for a while. So uh, I think yeah. we're definitely on the same page as how you go about things. Um, you know, by chance, um, long, long ago, I had a private audience with Eustace Mullins. Mm. And uh, he wrote The Secrets to the Federal Reserve, for those that haven't read that great book. Uh, he also wrote uh, a lot of books, but uh, one of them was The Curse of Canaan, which uh, really uh, uh, kind of gives you a trail through the roots of modern liberalism and how we got to where we're at today. And I don't know how familiar you are with his work, uh, Laura. And then in the 90s, I was involved in a group where we decided to go public and start doing education. We had to do it offshore back in those days because uh, it was a little bit controversial, the information we're bringing out. So um, we had to do it, uh, you know, we got uh, shut down every time we tried to do it domestically. And um, one of our regular speakers was uh, G. Edward Griffin. And so I got to, you know, meet him personally on a number of occasions. And so with uh, those two gentlemen, I really got an eye opener as far as the Federal Reserve System. And of course, they go more into the nuts and bolts of how it works on the ground. And I used to buy cases of Creature from Jekyll Island and just pass them out. <laughs> I just felt like everybody needed to know this. Because mm -hmm. if you don't know that, you, you don't, you really can't be effective, you know, in anything else, as far as I think. But now, Laura, you're going to take the journey a little deeper for us today and go back to the roots, roots of, uh, you know, that even predate Chekhov Island. So I want to um, just let you have the, the precious time we have with you today. And, and, uh, and, you know, we're all yours here. So just tell us how we got to present time and maybe, maybe just a, a little brief um, uh, introduction to yourself as far as how you got into all this in the first place. And then we can dive right into the world of banking cartels. <laughs> Sounds great. Well, thank you, first of all, for that introduction. And I didn't realize that we have so much in common. So this will certainly be very fun, our discussion. And, you know, you mentioned spiritual mapping. I, as a psychologist, I had no intention of ever writing a book on the Federal Reserve. You know, I, I I don't pretend to be an expert in our monetary system or even in our economy, but, you know, I really, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm a spiritual person. I, you know, follow Jesus and I have a biblical worldview. And so all of these things kind of led together in a very unique way. And it really started out for me in 2008 when our economy crashed we were actually going through a family crisis of our own. Our youngest son at the time, he was 10 months old. He was diagnosed with kidney failure and failure to thrive. And so, um, you know, it, it began just this very challenging time in our lives because we nearly lost him two different times. We had this, you know, emergency hospitalization. He had a surgery. He was discharged with a feeding tube. And that really began this long journey of recovery and I'd have to say, you know, in the beginning, I was um, I was holding it together, but um, there were months there where every day when I woke up, I didn't know if I would find him dead or alive in his crib. And so that really messed with my head. And I, I would say that I fell apart. I went through what I call a dark night of the soul for about a year and a half to two years. But when I pulled out, 
I was super curious what happened with our economy. Cause I'm, I'm one of those people, I just have this naturally inquisitive mind. And so I'm constantly formulating questions in my head and, you know, I knew there was this economic turmoil um, and I wanted to understand it. So I started by reading the creature from Jekyll Island. That was my, my first book of diving in and trying to understand what the heck happened. And in reading that book, it really ignited the spiritual mapper in me. And so what I do in, in my book that I wrote, The Roots of the Federal Reserve, is you know, I really dive into what are the spiritual roots that have opened the door to this debt enslavement system that we have. And as you mentioned, I go all the way back to the dawn of humanity and researching these things. And I identified this Nephilim agenda and how it's defiled our monetary system in practically every institution there is. And so, you know, my journey was one that um, I just put one foot in front of the other and, uh, you know, just was led by the Holy Spirit into those times of research and discovery. And um, I didn't even know when I first started out, I had no idea first of all, that I was even writing a book. I thought I was doing a spiritual mapping prayer brief. And I did in 2014. And we gathered some people to pray, you know, regarding our monetary system. And then I thought my assignment was done, but I just kept feeling like I needed to pick it back up. So after four years of researching and writing, um, I finished the book. And once I finished it, I realized that, okay, now my role in this grand scheme of what's going on is really just to expose those fruitless deeds of darkness and try and shine a light, you know, on those things that have been hidden in the shadows. And one of those areas that I'm trying to shine a light at is really helping us all understand who is this enemy that we're battling in this unconventional war we find ourselves in. So that's a little bit how I ended up writing this book. <laughs> Yeah, wonderful. Um, you know, I always uh, remember the line in Butch Cassidy where Butch says, who are these guys? You know? <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, that's the big question. Uh, you know, you, you get into the creature from Jekyll Island and then you find out all the things that many people know about these days. And it's just like, well, who would want to do this to create so much harm and suffering in the world? And, uh, you know, it has to have a deeper um you know, uh, history somewhere and not just somebody that woke up one day and said, Hey, I'm going to mess the world up. So, uh, uh, let's just take it wherever you want to start. Well, you know, I think one of the things that I'm super encouraged by, I would say over the last two and a half years is it seems like more and more people are awakening to the fact that we, you know, humanity has been under this constant assault and the ferocity of the attacks really seems like it's intensifying. And so I'm encouraged that people are awakening to that. And I've really found, you know, in my research that the Bible actually um, is very pertinent to our current situations, because what it does is it, you know, it provides this big picture for us to understand this unconventional war we find ourselves in, because its roots are actually in the seed war of Genesis 3. And that's why I think it's just so imperative that we understand who our enemy is. You know, there's a passage in Hosea 4, 6 that says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. And if we don't understand what's going on, we can be led right into the trap of destruction. And so, you know, one of the things that I think is important to understand is, 
you know, who, again, who is our enemy? And, and so many people, you know, we have all sorts of labels, you know, the deep state, the Kabbalist, the globalist, you know, um, the black hats, the cabal, you know, all of that. But one of the things that I propose is that our enemy are actually Nephilim hosts. And I'll describe that in a few minutes, but I think it's, it's also important to look at what past presidents have warned us about because they've actually been able to peer into, you know, what's at work in the shadows and warn us. So Eisenhower, you know, he talked about the enemy as this hostile ideology, global in scope, atheistic in character, ruthless in purpose, and insidious in method. Then JFK warned us, and he said the enemy is a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy, a covert system of infiltration, subversion, and intimidation. And then Reagan even talked about them as an intellectual elite from a far off capital. Then more uh, recently we have Trump and he talked about them as a failed and corrupt political establishment. He said a global power structure responsible for the economic decisions that have robbed us. And so here we have these past presidents, you know, they've peered into the darkness and they've, they've been able to see these power structures operating in the shadows. So then if we go back several centuries and we think about, you know, when our country was founded in 1776, at the same time, the Illuminati was birthed. So on May 1st, 1776, Adam Weishaupt, he instituted the order of the Illuminati in honor of Lucifer, the bearer of light. Now, he did this because they were trying to found a Novus Ordo Seclorum or a New World Order. And one of the things I, you know, I go much deeper in my book, but um, Adam Weishaupt, he partnered with Mayor Amschel Rothschild, who was the patriarch of the Rothschild banking dynasty. And together they came up with this plan for world domination. And it can be summarized in, in seven different points. And it is, they want to abolish all national governments. They want to abolish inheritance, abolish um, private property. They want to destroy patriotism, destroy the family unit, destroy Christianity, and then create a one world government or a new world order. And I think, you know, we can see over the last, um, you know, few decades, but I think it's really been intensified in the last two and a half years, how there's been an attack on patriotism and the family unit and even Christianity. And, you know, when when we face a global crisis such as COVID-19, what happens is that allows Nephilim hosts to advance their agenda for total domination. And so that's why I think it's it's so important we ask ourselves the question, you know, where where what are the roots of this power structure and what are its origins? And in order to answer this question, that's why we have to go all the way back to the dawn of humanity because its roots are in the Nephilim agenda. Yeah, I, I'd like to really go, uh, you know, all the way back there. And, you know, the question I've had also is, um, you know, in my profession, I, I ended up treating some of these families because of the type of work I did. So uh, they came in and I got to know some recognizable names that would be uh, synonymous with the dark side of the force. And but you get to know them personally and behind the scenes they some of them really believe they're 
they're doing the right thing and it's their prerogative to play God for the rest of us. So I'm just, uh, I was just curious on your take as far as uh, are these people just pure evil? I mean, they do evil or, or do they, do some of them really think they're doing the right thing somehow as far as the, you know, being self-appointed gods, it's, it's just a question I always had because you get to know some of these people and they're kind of personable when you get to know them. And then they just talk matter of factly about, well, you know, the rest of the folks just really don't know what's going on. They're lesser. And, uh, you know, they need somebody to, mm -hmm. to guide their lives, even if it means uh, killing a bunch of them and they just don't bat an eyelash. It's, it's right. amazing. Right. Yeah. And I think you, you hit the nail on the head as far as they are trying to elevate themselves to this godlike status. And, you know, mm -hmm. like you said, they, they think it's their prerogative to decide who's worthy of life and who's not. And that really, again, that goes to this Nephilim agenda. And so um, right. let me kind of dig into this because I think we'll see how these pieces come together. So, you know, um, I, I want to define the Nephilim agenda first because, and and then I'll build on that. So you know, the Nephilim agenda, it was unleashed during the days of Noah. And what it is, is it's the plan to defile the human genome through propagating this hybrid race. And, you know, the purpose really is to overthrow God. You know, they want to stage a coup d'etat on Almighty God. And in order to understand, you know, the Nephilim agenda a bit more, it takes going back to the seed war in Genesis 3. And so I just want to read two verses from there. This is verse 14 and 15. It says, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field on your belly. You shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So after the fall, what God did is he declared war between the seed of Eve, which is humanity and the seed of Satan. And one day Eve's seed would crush Satan. Well, this was the prophetic declaration of the coming Messiah. So Satan's strategy then was to contaminate the seed of the woman by altering the genetic code of humans. And this is where the fallen sons of God become integral in Satan's strategy. And we read about this both in Genesis 6, but also in the extra biblical text of the book of Enoch. And so what happened was these fallen sons of God, you know, they chose to leave their heavenly abode and they invaded the earth realm by descending upon Mount Hermon, which um, for your listeners, that's in at border Syria and Lebanon. And from that point, what they did is they lusted after the daughters of men and they took them as wives and then mated with them. And in doing that, they defiled the human genome because what was birthed out of that were this hybrid race of giants known as the Nephilim. So, um, you know, in my book, what I, what I did, I really felt that it was important kind of given this ethereal nature of the Nephilim to be able to develop a proposed set of criteria that would help us determine um, the presence of Nephilim traits within individuals. And so in order to do that, what I did is I conducted a literature review. Now, in my book, I have 553 references. And so I did a, a ton of reading. And to draw these proposed criteria, I looked both at ancient texts, you know, I, I used um, Josephus works uh, from the first century AD, 
I looked at um, the history of Herodotus from 450 BC and even some e ancient Egyptian documents. There's one called Papyrus Anastasia the Sixth, and then the Craft of the Scribe. So I looked at some of these ancient documents, but then also extra biblical manuscripts like the Book of Enoch, Joshua, and Jubilees, and then certainly the Bible. And so from that, I was able to um, develop, like I said, this set of proposed criteria. So in chapter 13 of my book, I identify four physical traits and 19 behavioral characteristics of the Nephilim and their giant offspring. And one of the reasons I do that is because I feel like it's so important that we're not deceived in thinking that the Nephilim only roamed the earth during the days of antiquity. So one of the things I'm trying to draw awareness to is that there are not only Nephilim alive today, there are Nephilim hosts. Now, Nephilim host is a term that I coined in my book, and that represents a human, so 100% human who has purposely um, partnered with the spiritual forces of darkness to carry out this Nephilim agenda. So they would be people that would fit this proposed criteria. Um, and I think you know, many of them are the global, you know, the titans of global governance. These would be the elites over banking and industry and media and academia, you know, all of those areas. And I think one of the things that's important to, to understand too is this Nephilim agenda is essentially um, trying to do the same thing as this globalist agenda. And that is to have this total domination over humanity. When you think about it, it's it's tyranny on the highest level. And so here we have these Nephilim hosts that are intent on controlling the masses. You know, they use, they want to manipulate the masses to do what it is they want to do. Just like what you were pointing out with some of these elites that you've worked with, they feel like they're superior and they have to direct the inferior race, which would be the masses to do what it is they want us to do. And at the core of this Nephilim agenda really is the goal to strip us of our humanity because, you know, they hate the fact that we are created in the image of God. So they want to defile our human genome. So that's kind of a basic understanding of this Nephilim agenda. And then what I did from there is, I mean, I'm, I'm giving you like my book in a nutshell, but essentially the roots of the Federal Reserve from what I found, extend all the way back to Genesis 3, 13. And it says, um, and the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And so I want to pause there for a minute, because one of the things that I did in my book is I performed what I like to call an archaeological dig on language. I, I want to look at the etymology of the word. So what, what do these words mean in the original language? And, you know, this was written in, um, it's in the Old Testament, so it was written in Hebrew. And so when I started digging in and looking at, okay, what does the word deceive mean in Hebrew? And it's the Hebrew word nasha. And here's what it means. It means to lend on interest or usury or to become a creditor. And so when I discovered that, that here the Hebrew word for deceive means to make someone a debtor, I nearly fell off my chair because this really is what we see in the Federal Reserve. So the, the entire system of the Federal Reserve is rooted in this nausea. And I was able to kind of uncover these ancient layers of 
deception that are within the Federal Reserve, because it, you know, when we think back to the Nephilim, when they were born, they were born with treason and greed, rebellion, you know, deceit, usury, and lust within them. And a lot of these characteristics I was able to trace through history. So from the Nephilim to the Edomites, to the Khazarians, to the Rothschilds, and then even to the six men that stole away in, you know, the dark of night in November, 1910 to go to Jekyll Island to birth the Federal Reserve. And so it all comes back to this root of nausea um, being this, this, sense of deception in the midst of um, the Federal Reserve. And, you know, when we think about the players that were involved in the creation of the Federal Reserve, they really exuded these Nephilim traits. You know, they were master deceivers, right? They were skilled at lying to the American people while, you know, pretending to have our best interests at mind. Meanwhile, they are crafting this insidious system of enslavement. And so, the Federal Reserve really is funding this Nephilim agenda. And, you know, one of the things that um, I think is really eye-opening is something that Congressman Lewis McFadden wrote, and this was back in 1932. So it wasn't too long after the Federal Reserve was instituted in 1913. And I just want to read an excerpt of what he says about the Federal Reserve. He says, we have in this country one of the most corrupt institutions the world has ever known. I refer to the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks. This evil institution has impoverished and ruined the people of the United States. It has done this through the defects of the law under which it operates, through maladministration of that law by the Federal Reserve Board, and through the corrupt practices of the moneyed vultures who control it. Some people think the Federal Reserve Banks are U.S. government institutions. They are not government institutions. They are private credit monopolies, which prey upon the people of the United States for the benefit of themselves and their foreign customers, foreign and domestic speculators and swindlers, and the rich and predatory moneylenders. In that dark crew of financial pirates, there are those who would cut a man's throat to get a dollar out of his pocket. At no time in our history has the general welfare of the people of the United States been at a lower level or the mind of the people so filled with despair. They are the victims of the dishonest and unscrupulous Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Banks. Their children are the new slaves of the auction block and the revival here of the institution of human slavery. And I read that because I, I think what he does is he really captures this deceptive predatory practice of the Federal Reserve. And again, these are hallmark traits of the Nephilim. And so what we find is, you know, fast forwarding to our day, the Federal Reserve, what they're doing is they're continuing to finance this Nephilim agenda and the mechanism right now that they're able to advance it. I really believe is through what's called the fourth industrial revolution. So I'll pause there. Cause I know that was a lot. <laughs> and look at, no, uh, was, look uh, at uh, Kazakhstan, the, the capital, uh, the Illuminati unfinished metropolis. Are you guys familiar um, with that? And uh, we're talking about the fourth, you know, where we're going with the great reset and all that. You look at that, you know, where the Khazars come from and how, creepy and trippy that place is with all the occulted symbology in there and everything 
really interesting that, of course, this all ties into potentially where the Nephilim really are. <laughs> They're underground there or somewhere. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's so maybe. Connected. So can you uh, maybe get a little bit more into the living Nephilim now where they are and how they're manipulating from wherever they're at? Yes, I definitely can. So, you know, one of the things that um, happened in writing this book is I had no idea what path it would lead me down. And I'm so grateful because I feel like God has connected me with these what I call divine relationships, meaning that um, they're God orchestrated, that I needed to meet these people to have a greater understanding, if that makes sense. And so Total. one of the things that happened is, um, you know, as a result of my studying the Nephilim, I had people continue to reach out to me, people that have encountered Nephilim. And they began sharing with me some of their stories. And um some of these people that I've, I've connected with are survivors of what's called satanic ritual abuse. And that gets very dark, very fast. So I don't know um, that I'll go too far down that road, but the point is, um, is that these folks, um, there's one in particular who is now a dear friend of mine and she's from South Africa and she is, um, an overcomer from the royal bloodline of satanic ritual abuse. And so she has been involved in very high level occult rituals that have been done to her. She's been tortured her entire life and she has had encounters with Nephilim. And so she talks about um, where she personally has encountered Nephilim are at Mount Hermon, which again is ground zero of this Nephilim agenda. That's um, where the fallen sons of God descended upon. Um, also Antarctica, she's encountered them there. Um, they're in area 51, also New Schwanstein. And there's a Mothers of Darkness castle in Belgium where, now these are the hot spots of where Nephilim are very active. Um, I also, I, I don't know how far you want to go. Um, Is this, a, are this. you talking about Jesse? No, I'm talking about Elle, but um, Jesse okay. ha also has had um, interactions and she and I have done um, some interviews together, but there's yeah. a woman who goes by the name of Elle um, who was birthed as a result of the hybrid breeding program that Hitler began in 1944. Interesting because Jesse's uh, story uh, narrative kind of go right along with that. Mm -hmm. So they, they, they sync up there and there's other whistleblowers too that I've been following for years where their stories, you know, all sort of sync up with the same, the same narrative around these same locations and also their descriptions mm -hmm. of these entities, uh, which are uh, quite frightening <laughs> in some respects, but um, also, uh, yeah, go ahead, Bear. No, finish, Mike. Oh, well, I was just going to say that, um, uh, that you did do an, a very interesting interview. I was listening to uh, last night with Jesse, where you guys tie in some very interesting uh, synchronicities around the psychology of the Nephilim and the Nephilim host. And uh, it would be interesting to touch on that a little bit too, with your psychology background, uh, because I definitely think there's some, uh, uh, let's just say uh, past presidents 
uh, that uh, of recent time um, that might, uh, well, we could say like the Bush, the Clintons, et cetera, they uh, definitely seem to sync up right with your um, your sort of psychological profile of these Nephilim hosts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I can share those four physical traits and 19 behavioral characteristics if that's um, what you would like. Sure, okay. please. I don't have those memorized, so I will. Um, so again, I, I just, in sharing this, I want to give a disclaimer because what I did is I not only did, conducted this literature review, but I also, um, you know, drew upon the concepts within the diagnostic and statistical manual. So that's the DSM, which is what psychologists and psychiatrists use um, to diagnose certain mental disorders. But in doing that, I'm, I'm not suggesting that, you know, this cluster of traits definitively can um, identify Nephilim hosts. There would have to be a whole lot more research done to validate the fact that, yes, in fact, these traits do identify Nephilim hosts. So this is really, I say it's proposed because this is the first stab at trying to discern what, what sort of traits would characterize someone as a Nephilim host. And again, just to distinguish, I, I should say this too, um, I see a difference between Nephilim and Nephilim hosts. So Nephilim are essentially demigods. They're hybrids. They're part spiritual being, part human. Whereas Nephilim hosts would be human. But again, these are people that have partnered with the spiritual forces of darkness to carry out this Nephilim agenda. So in the proposed criteria, there's, um, there's two criterion. There's um, criterion A, which are the physical traits, and then criterion B are the behavioral characteristics. And so what I'm suggesting is that someone have three or more physical traits or three or more behavioral characteristics. But if someone doesn't have any physical traits, then we want to see at least five behavioral characteristics. So the physical traits are um, excessively tall, and you would want to rule out gigantism. And so we're talking seven to nine feet range extraordinarily strong, polydactyly, which is having six fingers and or six toes, and then red hair. Now, I need to pause. I always want to say um, why I chose red hair, because I don't want to offend people with red hair. You know, my grandmother had red hair, and she was my spiritual mentor, amazing woman of God. So I'm not suggesting that people have red hair are automatically Nephilim hosts. But one of the reasons why I included that is, you know, as I was doing this um, historical literature review, what I found keep propping up was this connection of red hair with Nephilim hosts, you know, whether that was the Edomites, the elongated skulls of Paracas, Peru, even the red haired cannibals that terrorized the Paiute tribe in Nevada. Then you've got the Terran Basin mummies of China, you have the, the Celts, the Scythians, and the Khazarians. You know, it all pointed to the fact that red yeah. hair can be a trait of Nephilim hosts. So the, the many of the pharaohs in Egypt uh, they found had red hair. Mm, yeah, interesting. Okay, so these are now the behavioral characteristics. And again, um, if there are no physical characteristics, we're looking for five or more behavioral characteristics. However, in items 13 through 19, these are so severe that I'm suggesting that if someone has two or more in this category, 
then irregardless of any other symptoms, they could be classified as a Nephilim host. Okay, so these behavioral characteristics are lustfulness in conjunction with sexual misconduct, deceitfulness as indicated by repeated lying and purposeful misrepresentation for personal profit and pleasure, pervasive pattern of instability in relationships marked by control, manipulation, intimidation, and domination over others, rebellious behavior and a disregard for the rule of law, haughty and prideful as if above reproach, vengeful or inappropriate intense anger, participation in sorcery, witchcraft, and or the occult, recurring violent acts displaying disregard for the rights of others, lack of remorse for heinous acts against other living beings, excessive focus on death-related topics and or symbolism, underlying dark personality that is masked by overinflated self-righteousness, dishonesty in trade and business transactions, which is a propensity towards corruption. And then here's 13 through 19, a sexual perversion involving pedophilia, sexual domination and of others against their will and or bestiality, a trafficker of humans, engage in cannibalism, commit treasonous acts, pervasive pattern of engagement in sexual and or blood occult rituals, commit human sacrifices and the enslavement of others. So that kind of gives you um, a sense of these proposed criteria. Yeah, fits the bill of a lot of folks out in the public these days. Um, you know, just to corroborate a little bit, uh, back to my many years in practice, I had uh, people come to me with very serious physical ailments. And when we really got deep into it, uh, you know, they started remembering or telling, relating these stories of exactly what you're talking about as far as being used in ritual purposes and really, really dark stuff. And it took me a few years to actually believe them. Mm. Uh, you know, at, at first I just said, come on, this is, you know, I just thought they're making stories up and I didn't even want to be in the same room with them actually. Mm. And, uh, but over the years I realized, wow, this, this stuff is really, really going on. And then we had other ways uh, in other circles that we were doing our spiritual mapping of our own type and, uh, you know, uncovered the physical proof of everything that you're talking about. You know, the uh, just a quick comment too. you know, the sexual perversion thing to take it uh, more into a science level. And, uh, you know, it is a, absolutely a moral issue. But, you know, um, for what it's worth early on in martial arts circles, you know, where, you know, I spent a lot of years um, we were taught just the sacredness of that energy and how, especially as men, you, you know, learn how to preserve it and then uh, cultivate it in a way so that it uh, would eventually build uh, spiritual awareness. And so, of course, all these perversions are, I believe, just uh, out there to, you know, seduce the vulnerable people so that they leak that energy in any way possible uh so that they never you know reach their their true spiritual potential so yeah that's a big one and it does seem to be a constant theme with all these people and their obsession with it mm -hmm. yeah for sure and you know it all goes back to what i was talking about when the fallen sons of god you know when they defiled the human genome by mating with women that's that sexual perversion and it's, you know, been perpetuated throughout the millennials. So 
Yeah. And you know, go ahead, please. Well, I was going to, I was going to shift a little bit to this fourth industrial revolution and how it's, how it's really advancing this Nephilim agenda. And I'm sure you guys are very aware and your listeners are too of Klaus Schwab. You know, he's probably one of the biggest proponents of this fourth industrial revolution. And he says something very interesting when we think of it in light of this Nephilim agenda of defiling the human genome. He says, the fourth industrial revolution doesn't change what you are doing. It changes you. If you take genetic editing as an example, it is you that's changed. And of course, this has a big impact on your identity. So he's really talking about this. There's this fusion now between our biological, physical, and digital identities. And you know, what's happening is there's this merging of big tech data, you know, with machine learning and AI. And then you have this merging of genetics and robotics and quantum computing. And it really leads us to this place of, I think, an existential crisis. You know, will humans continue to exist in the near future? And if you ask Yoval Noah Harari, who is an advisor to Klaus Schwab, he certainly would say no. And he says this, he says, we are probably one of the last generations of homo sapiens. Within a century or two, earth will be dominated by entities that are more different from us than we are different from Neanderthals or from chimpanzees. Because in the coming generations, we learn how to engineer bodies, brains, and minds. This will be the product of the 21st century economy, not vehicles, textiles, and weapons, but bodies, brains, and minds. Those who control the data control the future of not just humanity, but of life itself. Because today, data is the most important asset of our time. So I think this really points out that we are quickly approaching a day when you know humans can be hacked and our minds taken over. And I wish this were hyperbole, but it's not. And, you know, when you think yeah. about how quickly nanotechnology and AI is advancing, you know, it really points to the fact that what scientists are trying to do is create this global super brain um, through the use of nanobots. And so I wanted to point out, there's this project um, that began in 2019, and you guys might be aware of it, but it's called the Human Brain Cloud Interface Project. And what scientists from this project are reporting is that um, these nanobots will be able to navigate through the vascular system. They'll be able to cross the blood-brain barrier and then auto-position themselves like precisely within brain cells. And then from there, these nanobots will then, you know, wirelessly transmit encoded information to and from this cloud-based, you know, supercomputer network for real-time brain state monitoring and data extraction. So essentially what these scientists are doing is they are connecting a network of human brains with AI to form a hive mind. And that the way that they're doing this is through um, graphene oxide. Now, Graphene is one of the most amazing substances. And I have um, one of the divine connections I've made is this scientist. um, He's a biopharmaceutical microbiologist and his name is Mitchell Florin. He's probably one of the most brilliant people I've ever um, talked with. And he, he and I are collaborating. He's providing me all sorts of 
research, peer-reviewed studies, Department of Defense stuff. And so some of what I'll share comes from him. But one of the things that, you know, he was talking to me about is, is just how amazing graphene is truly. But unfortunately, it's not being used in, in good ways. So graphene, you know, for those that aren't familiar, it is, you know, a single layer of carbon. So it's one atom thick, but it is 200 times stronger than steel. And, and some say a thousand times more conductive than copper. And it has this, you know, this property that makes it flexible. And with it being thin as well, it's able to, you know, be one of the leading candidates for these biomedical advances. So, you know, with drug delivery and with tissue engineering and, you know, creating neural wires in these brain implants. So I think one of the things that's important for us to all understand, and I imagine that you guys have talked about this at length um, on your own show, but just how graphene oxide can get into our bodies. So, you know, it's in pharmaceutical products. Scientists now have figured out ways to put it in our food products, and then it can be aerosolized. So there's all sorts of environmental means by which, you know, we can ingest it. And once it's inside of our bodies, you know, it, it is a toxic material when it's activated by electromagnetic frequencies. So whether that's radio waves or 5G or microwaves, and, you know, it has this, um, one of the things that Mitchell was um, talking to me about is that it has this neuro neuromorphic memristor character to it. And essentially what that means is it's like this memory transistor. So neuromorphic means that graphene oxide can self-assemble and to form these nanowires that actually function like brain synapses. And so you need picture it, you have these nano-sized robots um, within your brain and a memristor can both uh, save and process information as well as take in new signals. So it has the capacity to learn. And graphene oxide has been shown that it can cross the blood brain barrier. And so what, yeah. what Mitchell was telling me is he says, essentially graphene oxide has the ability to embed thoughts into our brain. And so this is really the ultimate in mind control um, technology. And, you know, one of the things that as I do this research into some of these dark subjects, I always want to bring encouragement and hope. Um, and I, I think, you know, one of the things that is encouraging to me as far as understanding graphene oxide is that there's ways that we can detox from it, our bodies. And I actually wanted to ask you, um, you know, are there, what are ways that you have folks detox from graphene oxide? The one thing that's uh, proven most effective is raising glutathione levels. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And rather than, that's the one thing they found actually breaks it down. And uh, the best way to raise your glutathione levels is with a coffee enema, which will raise your glutathione okay. levels naturally 600%. Uh, in the field of biotrain medicine, we use other uh, methods to prevent the coagulation that's also a, a dangerous byproduct of the graphene. Mm. And uh, with that, we use uh, isopathics of mucor, which is a normal organism that lives within us, but also adjust the blood viscosity. So if you have uh, this um, isopathic within you, it's going to prevent the, uh, you know, over -vis viscosity in your blood and the coagulation and the, the potential problems. And also certain cell salts like Cali muriaticum, that is the one inorganic element that is responsible for 
adjusting the fibrin level and distribution of fibrin in your body, which makes that coagulation. So there's a number of other things uh, that one can do, but those are the main things. You know, the, the, the other thing I just want to add is that, you know, every DNA strand is a dual impedance antenna. It's literally receiving resonance. Mm -hmm. And uh, I uh, strongly believe that the uh, mankind has a DNA structure that allows us to receive resonance from our creator different than the animal species. So when we are modifying our DNA, we're literally dampening our ability for spiritual perception. And uh, one of the most common things that some people are saying after they get this thing, um, you know, is that uh, I can't feel God anymore. Uh, you know, it's, um, and it just makes perfect sense to me. So anyway, uh, uh there's also glutathione yeah. in, uh, urine, urine therapy. I know people cringe at that, but plasma also, I would say biofield tuning to, uh, reconfigure the DNA. Um, there are so many different, um, uh, strategies that our community and thanks to Dr. Bear and other brilliant people we've had on like Eileen McCusick and Dr. Andrew Kaufman. Um, that actually the technology is right there. We've always had uh, the grander technology than what the materialists are trying to devise. And we have to remember that, that the most of these quote unquote scientists are very uh, engendered in the cult of materialism. And yes, they have all sorts of uh, device, all sorts of ways to tap into the brain, which is the computer, but thoughts are non-local. So they might be able to send messages in uh, and they, I know that 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 um, um, direct to mind messaging technology they've had for a long time, mm -hmm. but they don't understand consciousness. And so at least uh, at least in terms of the mainstream scientism. And so we have a lot going for us in terms of those who understand where what true consciousness is, as Bear was saying, tapping into the higher spiritual realms. And so uh, as someone who is always a, a glass half full type of person myself, because when we look at this stuff, it can seem quite daunting that they're spraying all this, all these toxins and that we have to be focused on detoxing. I personally believe that there are very simple technologies that we can have literally just going out in the sun, meditating, things like that, where we can tap into that higher consciousness and detox on those ways. Uh, so uh, I just wanted to put that message out to folks that we don't have to be stressing on this so much. It's as you said, as the Bible says, it's the knowledge and awareness that's the most important thing. And that fear is, while it's a tool to help us uh, motivate ourselves to move towards the light, it is also something that is really their true weapon. And mm -hmm. so no fear. I want to bring back that 90s, um, that 90s uh, uh, surf line or whatever that was, the no fear <laughs> bear, because really in the end, that's what it's all about. And having fun with these types of modalities, getting out, doing some sun gazing, fasting, uh, mm -hmm. uh, urine therapy, uh, coffee enemas, all of this is all it's doing is getting us back in touch with the creator. So mm -hmm. I just wanted to throw and that I, out. Yeah. And I think the most important thing, and one of my favorite uh, sayings from scripture is when two or more are gathered in my name. Mm -hmm. And I've heard you talk about, uh, you know, your group prayer circles and I've mm -hmm. seen absolute miraculous things happen personally, you know, when people get together and uh, you know, tune into the creator and, and uh, you know, uh, 
the more we start to do that, which is, of course, why the whole divide and conquer thing is so prevalent in their agenda. Uh, you know, more of us get together within that spirit, then it's game over. They're gone. I, I want to say one more thing. The fourth is the fourth uh, um, <clears throat> industrial revolution uh, revolution or whatever they're calling it. I personally believe is a is a is actually a, a, a last ditch effort by these Nephilim to try to use tech like digital technology to enslave because they've realized that they cannot defile creator. They cannot go against natural law. So they're trying to, once again, what's their biggest tool is trickery, right? The devil is trickery. So they're trying to trick using these Nephilim hosts or whatever these Cretans are, the, the anal Schwabs of the world, to try to trick us into a simulacrum of sorts because they know they cannot defile true nature, true spirit. Mm -hmm. So this is an existential crisis on their end, because this is their last attempt to try to, as, as Rudolf Steiner would talk about the eighth sphere, and it is a very serious threat, one that we have to take very seriously, but it, I think, is a call to action for us finally to um, move towards this new golden era of consciousness. And I think so for me, I see it as an existential crisis on their end that they're getting this desperate in trying to use digital technology instead of actually trying to use spirit technology. Um, I, I just love to throw that. that I love that. Absolutely. And, you know, I think um, as you guys were saying, scientists are focused on material, the material world and what they can control. And what they don't understand is that spirit connection that we have. And, you know, one of the things I love to encourage people on is that there's always a way out of the dark caverns of mind control, because our creator designed our brains with neuroplasticity. And I think that is one of the most amazing aspects of our brain, because it means that our brains are malleable and adaptable. And, you know, there's a passage in Romans 12, 2 that actually talks about this. I'll read it. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind or excuse me, your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is as good, pleasing and perfect will. And, you know, I'm one of those people, like I said, I've got this naturally inquisitive mind. And so I'm always digging in further into scripture, like, what does it mean to renew your mind? And so if I look at the word in Greek, because this was the New Testament was written in Greek, it's the word anakinosis. And not only does it mean renew, but it means renovation and this complete change for the better. And it comes from the root word anakino, which means to cause to grow up, to make new, to be changed into a new kind of life as opposed to the former corrupt state. Well, I absolutely love that. And that's what we have the power of being able to do that, renew our mind day by day and allow God to speak to us. And, you know, um, Bear, what you were talking about earlier, you know, when people get that, that thing in their arm and they can no longer connect with God, you know, that's one of the mind control technologies that I'm fairly um, concerned about. And it's, it, it taps into geno spirituality. And what geno spirituality is, is it's kind of this intersection between um, genes and spirituality. And, you know, it, it looks at how our genes allow us to have this spiritual connection. Well, I believe that God has hardwired us to have a connection with him, to be able to speak to him, just like you were saying, you know, um, how our DNA is wired. And, you know, one of the things that 
they're doing with genospirituality is they are using genetic editing as a way to interrupt or interfere with our ability to communicate with God. And, you know, back in 2004, um, there is a scientist named um, Dean Hamar. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name right, but he discovered that the VMAT2 gene is responsible in part for our ability or our capacity to connect with God. And so he actually renamed the VMAT2 gene, the God gene, and he wrote a book on it. And of course, there was this big media frenzy about it. Um, but subsequent studies actually showed that when you alter this gene, it can um, affect people's ability to connect with God. Well, unfortunately, it didn't take the Pentagon very long to realize how they could capitalize on this. And in 2005, they developed what's called the FUN, and I'll say VAX, the FUN. I know you're on YouTube, and so I don't want to. Jibby jab. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Jibby jab, is that what you called it? Yeah. I like that. Well, what it stands roll up your for. Sleever. <laughs> yeah, it stands for a fundamentalism jibby jab. That's what fun VAX stands for. And so what they did is in this injection, they put a virus that um, decreases the expression of the VMAT2 gene. And so they what they're able to do is infect populations um, that they consider at high risk for religious fundamentalism. And so they tested all sorts of ways to use this, whether it was an injection or aerosolized. And they discovered that aerosolizing it was much more effective. So what they did in um, using this virus to decrease that VMAT2 gene is they then measured how effective was that. And they looked at um, whether there was a decrease in attendance of religious activities, and they looked at whether there was an increase in expressed discontent towards God, and they measured people's communication or they tracked people's communication. So this kind of shows us how these Nephilim hosts, how these scientists, and um, even you know our, our government is trying to interfere with our ability to connect with our creator. And, you know, one of the things that there's a, a, another scientist who was an editor of a journal called Medical Hypotheses. And this was in 2008, his name is Bruce Charlton. And he wrote an article that was on this emerging technology called genospirituality. And he says this, he says, if technologies are devised which can conveniently and safely engineer these genes causal of spiritual and religious behaviors, then people may become able to choose their degree of religiosity or spiritual sensitivity. Well, if you take that thought one step further, essentially what they're saying is genospirituality can control what we believe. And this is where Again, I, I think we need to rise up and really tap into our connection with creator God and, you know, disconnect from what the fourth industrial revolution is trying to do. You know, it may seem overwhelming, all these advances, it may seem unstoppable, but there's a God in heaven that intervenes all throughout human history when globalists try to usurp his authority you know, if we bring it full circle back to what we were talking about in the beginning, um, Dr. Bear, that, you know, these 
this fourth industrial revolution, what it does is it sets up scientists and these global elites into this godlike status. You know, they think they have the prerogative to decide who lives and who doesn't. And I always go back to the story of Nimrod in the Bible. This is in Genesis 10. You know, Nimrod, scholars agree largely that he was the first world leader in human history. So he was the first globalist, so to speak. And what he was doing is he was leading his people to construct this Tower of Babel that would reach the heavens to try and overthrow God. Well, that didn't end well for them. God intervened and he, you know, he confused their language, dispersed them across the earth. And I really think a day of reckoning is coming for those global elites who have elevated themselves to this godlike status and tried to usurp um, almighty God. I think a day of reckoning is coming, but of course, in my opinion, it can't come fast enough, but God doesn't operate on our timetable. So we have to be patient. And kind of going back, Mike, to what you were saying earlier, I wholeheartedly agree that we cannot live in fear. Fear is one of the most powerful drivers of mind control. And it really, it's a hallmark trait of the Nephilim and their giant offspring is to instill fear in the masses. That's what Goliath did with the armies of Israel. He intimidated them to the point where they were, for 40 days, they were paralyzed. They couldn't go into battle. And, you know, when we think about fear and the fact that it originates in our amygdala and, you know, it's that part of the brain where, you know, it's the reptilian brain or the, the hind brain. Well, we can't access rational thought when we live in fear. And that's why the past two and a half years, so many people have been held captive because of fear. And the globalists understand that they just keep rolling out these fear-based narratives that keep us stuck in that. And so we have to rise up against fear. It's so important. So what do you think of, um, I know it's not God's plan to create evil, but what do you think of uh, the thought that it's an opportunity uh, that we all face and that everybody without exception, this what this end time is about, which, uh, you know, apocalypse, I think, deciphered properly means new beginnings. Um, it's really about us making our final decision. Mm -hmm. And uh, in some kind of strange way, maybe these uh, sinister folks are, um, you know, separating the wheat from the chaff and uh, in their own little doings, even though they have their own agenda. Absolutely. I agree. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, that's one of the reasons why I want to make people aware of this, this spiritual battle that we're in the midst of. And, you know, I was, I was talking with a friend of mine earlier today and, you know, she's looking at sound and frequency and I am as well. And it's interesting. There's a passage in Daniel three, where Nebuchadnezzar wants um, everyone to bow before this, this golden statue that he made. And the edict is when the sound goes forth and it's the sound of all these different instruments, the whole population is to bow. And, you know, there's three people that choose not to bow and that's Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego because they worship the almighty God. They're not going to worship Nebuchadnezzar. Well, it's interesting because we were talking about like, what was that frequency coming from that sound? And both of us were kind of pondering, was this some hypnotic frequency in which the whole population, except for three people, bowed a knee? 
and we were extrapolating to the here and now. And, you know, going back to this graphene oxide and, you know, things that are in our environment that are aerosolized or things in the pharmaceuticals, how much is that deadening our ability to connect with creator God? And, you know, are people kind of coming under not a genuine hypnosis, but to use that as a term, um, this hypnotic trance of just follow what everyone else is doing. And I think we are in that point of we have to make a decision, you know, which side of the seed war are we going to align with? Are we going to align with the creator God and humanity? Are we going to align with the seed of Satan in this fourth industrial revolution of AI and hybrids and, you know, humans 2.0? We have to make this decision. It's becoming very clear, as you say. Absolutely. There are well-documented incidents on the military uh, theater uh, in Iraq where they use microwave technologies and uh, troops of people just uh, just suddenly became docile, laid down their weapons and then marched you know towards their captors. So uh, you know that's not a new thing. it's it's tried and proven. Um, I, I know we have a, a, a time frame with you today and I want to respect that. So um, maybe uh, any final thoughts? Uh, there's so many other things I could uh, love to talk to you about, pick your brain about. Maybe we could do a part two someday down the road. But any final thoughts for today uh, that you'd like to get out there or other subject matter you think is important for us to uh, cover? Well, I think just, you know, to kind of wrap it up, one of the things I want to encourage people is that we have to continue to engage in those things that keep us human. You know, those face-to-face -face interactions where we're exuding heartfelt emotions with one another, we're embracing one another. You know, you know all too well because you're, you know, doing a farm, but we have to get outside and get, you know, our fingers dirty in the soil of our gardens and, you know, being able to disconnect from the internet, get out into nature, allow, you know, God's beauty and what he's created um, for us to connect with that. We're stewards of the land that God has given us and to get in connection with that and, and to align with that. And then I think also, you know, we didn't talk much about this, but there's a whole stream where they are developing designer babies, where you know, they're trying to bring forth life artificially through artificial wombs. And I think we need to celebrate when a baby is born from a mother's womb, because that is the beauty of humanity. So just being able to embrace all these beautiful parts of what makes us human. And as you said, Dr. Bear, the primary thing is that we can have a connection with our creator that sets us apart from all other creation. And so you know, just getting in touch with that is super important. Brilliant. Well said. Oh, I mean, that's how I end every show. So you uh, <laughs> tapped in perfectly there. Uh, and it's, you know, you're talking about designer babies. The reason why they're having to do that is because of the existential crisis of the technocracy, because if they are going to this anal Schwab's homie over there talking about the, how the homo sapiens not going to be a lot around anymore. Well, that's, they're not going to be able to Pro, uh, po, uh, excuse me, co-create or procreate actual souls. So they're going to have to manufacture them. It's all going to fail. So they, they're trying, they're like desperate to try to hack the system. 
in a way that it's just not going to work. So, uh, but that is fascinating. And I'd love to have you back on to go deeper into the Fed, into the money system, into the debt system, and how that's all connected, because we didn't go as deep into that as I was hoping we would, because this is such a huge topic. But uh, we really appreciate the time today, Laura. And um, I wanted to just point out that your website, uh, no longer enslaved.com is a, a wonderful place for people that to go check out. You have a community there people can join, and it's really about solutions, right? It's about mm -hmm. having the knowledge and awareness to uh, break, break free, as you say, break the chains of mind control and come together as a community to move forward, uh, as, as you were saying, as natural born humans. <laughs> so. Uh, check that out, nolongerenslaved.com, and that is in the show notes below. Uh, thank you so much. The chat was in fuego today, uh, and I think a lot of people are super interested in this topic because one of the one of the questions we always get as we uncover this stuff is why? Like, why do the why are there psychopaths out there? You know, it seems to go mm -hmm. against God's God's will and because of this, because of the great fall, right? And all that. So, uh, but thanks again, Laura. Uh, we appreciate you. Uh, please guys, if you enjoyed this talk, give us a thumbs up, share it with your friends and family. It helps get it out to more people. And uh, as I always say, don't forget to get outside, get your feet in the dirt, go plant something, go for a hike. Mother nature is our greatest teacher and she will reward us at every step we take, ideally barefoot. Uh, so uh, thanks again, guys. And next week, we have an early show Tuesday, I believe at four o'clock with Greg Carlwood, my favorite podcaster on the planet. So that is going to be a good one. And we'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. Cheers. <laughs>